Compass and Clock. I'm your host, Mary Copeland. This infotainment podcast explores how to live your best life now and well into retirement. We'll discuss topics in financial planning, housing, and insurance. We'll talk wellness, relationships, and leisure activities. A full active life requires planning for your goals and preparing for the unexpected. I'll introduce to you a variety of guests from knowledgeable experts to folks sharing stories of their life experiences and so much more because life is big. All is intended to help guide you in planning for what you need now and at any age. Like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Today, my guest is Judy Granley Gates. Judy is a custom home builder and remodeler of 35 years in Kitsap County. She loves to write and has written all of her life and she has heard from people for over 35 years that we just need a little more space. So Judy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to talk about our topic, which is you and I are going to discuss your new book, Bigger Living, Smaller Space, Resizing for a Clean and Cozy Home, and how it can help you. Yes. So why don't we just jump right in? Sounds great. Okay. So my first question to you, Judy, is what inspired you to write this book? Well, there's a few things. As you said, I've met with uh, thousands of people over the years. And the people that want to remodel and even the people that want to build, their commentary is always, we just need a little bit more space. The remodeling group tends to say, we just need a few hundred more square feet because we're just busting at the seams. And I visit a lot of homes when we go to look at remodels as well. And, and I see the same thing over and over again. I see houses that are really perfectly livable. They just have too much stuff in them. Mm. And you can't open a closet or some of the rooms you can't go in because that's the room where at the junk room, right? Where everything goes, all the weird stuff. They don't know what to do with it. And it's the door that's always shut. Usually it's a guest room um, or a kid's room that's gone to college. So that really got me to thinking about, wow, we don't use our space. Well, um, we just collect things, keep things, and we never move things out of our homes. And we had gone through this with many family members, downsizing to assisted living or something like that. Um, and it was really painful to watch. And we inherited a lot of possessions as our relatives passed. And we were one day just said, you know what? we don't want to do this. We don't want to have all this stuff and leave this to our kids. So let's resize for ourselves and did that and used all my experience in helping others doing it and created a real bona fide process and thought this is worth sharing. So that was really the impetus for writing the book. Wow. Thanks for sharing that with us. Um, I've heard the saying, your kids don't want your stuff. So I, <laughs> I know where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, so based on that, who would you say is your audience? For me, it's really, I would say 40 to 65 year olds. You know, the inevitable is when you're older, you're going to have to resize at some point. It's just how life works generally. If you're super fortunate, you can live it at home the rest of your natural life. But many people end up going to some sort of senior apartment or assisted living or maybe move in with a relative. Um, I want people to think about this a little bit earlier in life for a variety of reasons. Number one, you're not burdening the people left behind with the clean out of your hoard. Uh, not that, you know, most people are not hoarders, but that can be a lot of stuff. And it's a very overwhelming and emotionally challenging task. Um, 
And I think there's also some real benefit in living a little bit smaller earlier. There's a lot of freedom. There's so many benefits. And I know we'll talk a little bit more about that too. But I like people to start thinking about that before it is even remotely necessary. Well, my best friend and her husband, you know, um, had a large home, had been in it for many years. And when their daughter um, completed college, or it might have, yeah, it was right when she was ending college, they downsized. Yeah. And they were in their 50s. And they went from a four bedroom home to a two bedroom condo mm-hmm. in downtown Seattle. Yeah. And, you know, it was a lot of work in your 50s downsizing to a smaller space, but well worth it. And in the uh, when I asked um, one of the questions on who your audience is and, and you were talking about, you know, transitioning um, into an assisted living or a, a, another place. One of the things, too, is transitioning even, you know, when you're 65 to a smaller home then, too. You might not necessarily be going into an assisted living or other senior community. You might be going into just a smaller home so that you're not um, mowing the lawn anymore, doing any yard maintenance or anything. And and you're still capable of, you know, living on your own. Maybe you might have some help coming in, et cetera. But um, it's not always downsizing to move out of. Correct. Um, yeah. Independent zone. So there's speak. a lot of people that just don't want to take care of the big house anymore or pay for the big house. And one of the things that we really discovered was that there's a lot of freedom involved with resizing. You know, there's the freedom of your time. There's the freedom of your finances and there's the freedom of your emotions. Those are three huge items that you really benefit from when you consider resizing and, and decluttering. Ooh. So I like how you said, um, there's three different freedoms. So can we go through each of those three freedoms um, one by one? And why don't we start with financial freedom? The financial freedom, I think, is really the biggest key. And I don't know that a lot of people think about it, but I remember vividly one day thinking, we live in this big house. It was 3,400 square feet. So not a monster, but, you know, big house. Yeah. Um, our daughter was going to college in a year and I was thinking, we don't even use the basement. We don't use the upper floor. It was where our daughter lived. We're living on the main floor of this house, which was about 1500 square feet. And it's got more room than we need. And I, I sort of started thinking, gosh, the tax bill came and I was like, wow, those taxes are a lot. And I started kind of looking at what we were paying a year in taxes, in mortgage, in insuring the big house. We had a yard guy. We had a housekeeper. We had maintenance on the house. You know, the roof needed to be repaired here and there. Things needed to be replaced. And in a big house, you have more of that to do. So when I started looking at all the upkeep and the money we were spending, and I correlated that to a smaller home, that's when we really thought, you know, that's worth giving it a try. One of the biggest benefits I've seen is that For a lot of people, they may be able to pay for a house outright when they resize. If you're truly going to move from a bigger home to a smaller home and you don't have to do it drastically, you may be able to just fully pay for that house in cash. So then you could have the added benefit of not having a mortgage, but your utility bills go down, your homeowner's insurance, all those things go down. And that's a huge, huge benefit. 
Um, I was definitely thinking electric bill on a 3,400 square foot house to yeah. house to 1,500. That's a, yeah, total. Well, and, and we were West facing, so we got just killed South and West killed in the summer. Our air conditioning bill was more than our heating bill in the winter. Um, and that, you know, was just inevitable or the house was like an oven. So you don't really think about how much you're spending on some of that stuff sometimes. Okay. So that was financial freedom. Let's walk through um, the freedom of time. Freedom of time is a really good one because, you know, we spend a lot of time on our homes as Americans, making them look nice, keeping up the yard, you know, making sure the bushes are all trimmed, decorating for Christmas, all those things. Uh, the bigger the home, the more maintenance that comes with it, right? Whether it's cleaning or maintenance or any of those things, there's something to do almost all the time. When you have a smaller home, you have less to look after and you have less belongings that will fit into it nicely. Mm -hmm. So you have less time managing all your things and your maintenance. And we have found that we spend far less time doing all of those things on our home with a house that's a third the size. Um, we went pretty drastic. You know, we went from 3,400 to 1,131. That's not for everyone, but we just sort of were like, hey, that's how we started our married life. Let's let's go back to that. Best choice we've ever made. And we have a lot more time to just sit and enjoy the patio instead of scrubbing it and maintaining the deck and cleaning the deck rail and all those things that we were doing in the big house. Right. You reinvest that time from chores and maintenance into leisure activities and yeah. things that bring you joy. Because yeah. does it really bring you joy to clean the bathroom? No. The bathroom? And I had five of them. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want you using that bathroom. I don't want to have to. No, you can't go in that bathroom. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, so there's the um, last piece of freedom that uh, when you have three freedoms and that one you, you called emotional freedom. So can you paint that picture for us, please? Yeah, you know, if you've ever known anybody that had a lot of clutter or their house was a little chaotic, you've heard them say, I just I just need to, I haven't had time to get to that. I'm, I'm making a list. I'm going to start that next week. And they say that over and over and over again. And that's a big emotional toll. People don't think about the toll, the clutter and and things like that, the chaos that clutter brings have on their emotional well-being. Um when you can't find things all the time, when you're replacing things all the time and spending money on something you already own, but you can't find it, when you can't put one more thing in a closet, when you can't see a countertop, when you can't find something because you have too many of one thing, um, all those things increase people's frustration. And there's a lot of studies that show that clutter really impacts your emotional well-being, your mental health. And so sitting in a place that's cluttered and looking around going, oh, gosh, I have to do something about this is not a great feeling. It's a feeling a little of embarrassment and shame for a lot of people and just overwhelm. Mm -hmm. If you don't have all that, you don't feel that, right? You let go of a lot of that stuff. And that really frees up that emotional bandwidth that you were spending on stuff. And if you don't believe me, just leave a door open to a room that drives you crazy. And just looking at it, you'll be like, oh, I got to shut that door again. I mean, it's just, it's taxing mentally and emotionally. So clearing that out is a huge benefit to people. I bet you it totally um, 
interrupts their sleep because they have this on their mind. Oh, I need to get to it. I need to get to it. And they, they can't shut it off and it yeah. probably messes with their sleep habits. And I was just talking with someone yesterday and she was saying that they had a relative over. They don't have company over because the husband is a little bit on the messy side and he keeps saying, oh, I need to clear this up. They've, they're a new, newly formed couple in, and they're older and, and a relative of hers came over and he wasn't allowed to go into a room that had a bunch of cool equipment that he would have loved to see because the husband was too embarrassed. He said, no, that room's a disaster. I don't want anybody seeing that. Mm-hmm. And so there's that whole component of like, oh, what if someone stops by my house unannounced? Like, you know how people kind of will just stop by and you're in your pajamas. You're like, oh, great. My hair is sticking up and I'm in my pajamas. <laughs> well, imagine if your whole house was just chaos, how you would feel if someone came to the door. You certainly wouldn't want to let them in. So that is a bit of an emotional burden. And I think it does impact sleep and and just general well-being. Yeah. Obviously, in that family, their social life. Yeah, Totally. Let's talk about emotional freedom of objects now, though, that are sentimental, that people can't let go of because of memories tied to them. Um, Isn't that another piece of the emotional freedom that you were painting for? It's the biggest, and it's my favorite topic. Sentimental items are really my favorite topic because everybody has them. No one wants to part with them. No one can figure out how to part with them, but no one is using them. So most of my friends that have their grandmother's china, they're not using it. They can tell you where it is roughly, but they're not using it. And if they do, it's once in a blue moon. I mean, once every few years, right? There's lots of other objects we get like that, though, too. For example, uh, my husband's grandma had a beautiful hanky collection, handkerchief, right? And ladies used to have really lovely handkerchiefs. You don't see that so much anymore. So when you have a relative that had a box of something like that, there's the sentimental pull that says, well, I can't just throw it in the garbage. And no one's asking anyone to throw things in the garbage, but there are ways to manage these sentimental items. The biggest chapter in my book, Bar None, by far, is all the different types of sentimental items and how they mess us up, how they mess with our head a little bit and how we have a hard time parting with them. And I think you have to really separate out the fact that memories are portable. And that is so big for me. I don't need to have an object in front of me to have the memory. I can still have the memory. I can access it anytime. But so many people are attached to the fact that the memory lives in a house or the memory is attached to an item. And it's not. It's always here and it's always here. So I just encourage people to think carefully about their mindset about attachment and the items. And then that can make it quite a bit easier to let go of those things. Now, all that we're discussing, I'm assuming um, you've um, illustrated for us throughout your book, you've touched on. Okay. just want to make sure because um, what you're sharing is invaluable and so helpful for so many people. Um, I was thinking of um, asking you managing the items you don't want to keep and Mm -hmm. gifting. And it made me think of my girlfriend with your hanky story just now, Mm -hmm. because she would, she uses things like that to wrap gifts and to give to people. Great idea. Way to use her, her, the the hanky idea. But um, why don't you tell us about gifting though? 
So one of the things that you can do, I think that's really the greatest is uh, repurposing a sentimental item. Mm -hmm. And the hanky story is really kind of ironic because my, my husband's grandmother did have a ton of hankies and my mother-in-law could not bring herself to just get rid of them. And I said to her, give me a few days and I will figure out something we can do with these because they're too pretty to, to just get rid of. And, and they were lovely. Um, I found a lady on Etsy who made handkerchiefs into little dresses like Barbie doll dresses. However, she didn't cut them up. She folded them, top stitched them, added a little rickrack lace, maybe a button. And then she pressed them flat and put them on a little hanger and we framed them in shadow boxes and they are absolutely adorable. And if we ever wanted to use them, we can pull the stitching, just take a little seam ripper, pull the stitching and they're perfectly intact. So we had about a dozen of these and my mother-in-law had them made. It was, I think the woman might've charged 10 or $15 a piece. Mm -hmm. And then my mother-in-law gave them to everyone as gifts. And I I have one I can see right from where I'm talking to you from. um, That's just beautiful. And it's in a shadow box that's pinned in there. And everyone sees it and says, oh my gosh, that's so pretty. Is that a handkerchief? Now I could have stuffed that in an underwear drawer or a closet somewhere, but I see it every day. And I think of granny every time I see it. So for me, that's a gift because I get to see it. And and it was a gift from my mother-in-law. The other gifting process I really like is what I called strings attached giving. And there's no shame here. Um, My grandmother had a silver service. She wasn't a very fancy lady, but somehow she ended up with a silver service. And it was just janky. The top had broken off. It was silver plate. It wasn't sterling. I couldn't have it fixed because it wasn't sterling. Um, It was always tarnished. I never knew what to do with it. I kept moving it around. And finally, one day I emailed all my cousins with a picture and said, this is Fran's silver service. It's silver plate. It's lovely. It's not my style. Are any of you interested? And to my delight, one of my cousins was like, I would love to have that. And I would actually use it. So I was able to get it to a cousin who I had no idea was even interested in it at the time she was in her early 20s. Now, that made me feel good because I knew it was going to a good place. But let's say it's something you're just not sure of. You could say, okay, cousin, I'm going to give you the silver service, but I'm going to ask one favor. If you ever decide to get rid of it, please offer it back to me before you give it to anyone else. Fair enough. Yep. And That just kind of helps alleviate like the fear that if you did change your mind and someone were ever to get rid of it, hopefully they would come back to you and say, hey, this has outlived its usefulness with me. You know, can you, would you like it back? And then you have an option to say yes or no. And most times I think people say no because they've realized that they don't need the item any longer. They still have the memory. Oh, perfect. I love that thought. Um, we, We have about five more minutes and I want to touch on two more um, questions for you because yeah. um, I think they'd be really helpful for everyone. So the first one is, what advice would you give for parents whose children have left for college and are already out of their out on their own? What do you do with the kids' stuff? Um, do you keep storing it? Is there a time limit on that? Um, this is definitely a personal question. Sure. <laughs> you know, I think it does depend a lot on the individual family, but most kids are taking their 20s to get settled, right? They're moving a lot. They don't have a stable environment. They don't even own nice things yet, right? So to give them sentimental items that they can't appreciate, I can see where, 
you know, I don't want my baby dolls. Okay. But the minute they turn 32, they're going to want their baby dolls, right? Or their toy trucks, because they're now thinking about having a family. Any paper products that you can, I say, scan them and then just get rid of that. Report cards, artwork, all those things, scan it. The rest of the stuff, you know, judge that when your kid is ready. But you know, by 30, I think you should be able to get it out of your house and give it to them. So it's their turn to store it. I think so. You just give it to them in a box when they come over for dinner and and say, here's your things. (laughs) (laughs) I believe you said your mother-in-law did that one day. She did that to all three of her (laughs) children at Easter one year. She said, here's your crap. Take it home. I'm not throwing it away. (laughs) The one piece of advice I'd throw in here, though, too, is um, our daughter is off at college. And I did FaceTime her with some of her clothes yes. because there were still things like from eighth and ninth grade that, you know, it just, they're not realistic to hold on to. But um, when she came home for Christmas, she did go through some boxes mm-hmm. and um, she, she had asked me, mom, promise me that you're not going to toss anything. You yeah. know, just let me, let me make that decision. Please don't make it for me. So I said, right. okay, honey. And as long as she's going through, my daughter did the same thing. She would open a few boxes every summer and go, what the heck was I keeping this for, mom? Well, I don't know, honey, you were 18 years old when you put that in a box. So go figure, you're 24 now, you know, Um, and she didn't keep a lot of it. But yes, I think there's some validity as long as they're going through it regularly and they're not just avoiding the topic for sure. So we've talked about how and why to do this. Can we just wrap up with now with talking about the end result and how that looks, you know, that clean and cozy, clean and cozy, clean and cozy. That's a hard one sometimes. Um, (laughs) You know, I think when people go through their home, even if they're not looking to resize to a different home, they're creating space in the home they already have. So just by going through and cleaning out, whether it's one room or your whole house and decluttering, you're creating some really nice flow and space in the house. When you open a closet, you're not worried something's going to fall out and land on your head. When you have someone knock on the door, you're not like, oh gosh, is it, can I let them in? Is everything clean? You know, do I need to go shut doors? Do I need to kick towels somewhere? Um, there's just a space, there's a freedom that comes with that, a feeling of freedom and peace that is just like, You don't have all that stuff hanging over your head. And there's a really high level of enjoyment. If you've ever had just kind of think about when you have a big party and afterwards it's such a mess. And then you're so tired because you had this big fun party. And then you you look at your messy house and then you clean it all up and you're like, oh, my house looks so nice. And and you sit on the couch and just enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Think about that feeling being all the time, like just being able to sit in a place in your home and look around and go, wow, I live here. This is a beautiful, beautiful home. And I think everybody deserves that. And it's not that hard to get to that. Well, that clean and cozy too, that end result just gave you the freedom of financial freedom, Mm -hmm. the freedom of time and the emotional freedom too. So you literally can sit there and enjoy your environment. Yeah. And I, and I think there's a lot to be said for your home being a place where you can re- rest and recharge, right? For me, my home is a sanctuary. It's, it's, it's where the most special people in my life come. It's where I spend a lot of my time and it's where I reset, you know, it's, it's not work. It's where I rest and get ready for the next adventure, the next day, the next, whatever it is. And so it's really important to have an environment that is is fitting to you and feels cozy, feels clean and feels like a happy space. Um, 
before we say goodbye, in 30 seconds, I would like you to repeat to our audience a story that you told me about um, some of your mother's clothes, because that was another gifting example that yes. I thought was awesome. My mother was an incredible designer clothes horse, tens of thousands of dollars of clothes. I filled two or three SUVs and I invited half a dozen friends over one Saturday and we opened up some wine and had some snacks and we went through all of her bags and held up this and held up this and everyone would decide if they wanted to try it or if two people wanted, we would, you know, battle it out as you say. My friends all left with several giant contractor bags full of beautiful clothes. And the rest I donated to the local women's shelter, several car, several, several SUV loads, not just car loads. And for years after that, Mary, I would get texts just randomly. I'm wearing Catherine's shoes today. I'm feeling all, you know, cool and groovy because she was very fashionable. Or I've got Catherine's puffer jacket on. It's silver and I'm sparkling. And I never thought about those gifts being more than just like, hey, someone could use these. They really brought my friends a lot of joy and they were my mom's friends too. And they brought me a lot of joy because instead of just missing my mom, I would get like a funny story from someone about a dress they were wearing that Catherine used to own. And that was really wonderful. That's a great gift in itself. So it was, it's the gift that keeps on giving. It is for sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd have to say thank you so much, Judy, for sharing your experience with us about how to manage our space and time effectively. And anybody, you can pick up Judy's book at Barnes and Noble, Amazon, or Book It Nook in Polesbo. But until next week, take care and thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.